feeling all cozy in that space-time butthole we call home. It's Feature Please, a hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I'm a warp core parasite, Peter. Peter, what episode of Star Trek Voyager did we watch this week? Yeah, man, we gotta get right into it. This is a big one. There's no time for chit-chat here. <laughs> no time Season for VR th- exploits, you know? That's for that's for past us. Now, uh, VR exploits had to take a back seat. I, I finally indulged myself and began uh, a little game called Grand Theft Auto V. I don't know if you heard about it. You I know, I heard that's a recent release that all of the kids are talking about. <laughs> yeah, that and Squid Game. That's that's the that's the big thing in pop culture right now. No, uh, yeah, Grand Theft Auto Five. I'm really enjoying it. But we're here for season seven, episode fifteen, The Void. So this one is the season seven All Star Aliens Return <laughs> episode. But for lots real, of. Though. Lots of names dropped, uh, lots of cameo appearances by different races that we have seen or mentioned in the past. Fucking pumped seeing some of these guys. Yeah, they definitely reached into the catalog and decided to uh, have a a, a couple winners reemerge. More like reached into the costume and wardrobe thing. And like some execs said, listen, you've got some expensive costumes under the belt. And I see you've only used it for a week here, a week there. Like, we need to justify the budget here. Get those get those out. You know, those next gen guys, they were using Romulans and Klingons all the time. But you guys, you got the Tater Boys and you only used them one time. <laughs> the Voyager, the, the Neckbeards. Wasn't that what we called them? Because they're all I, they're all Voyager fans. I'm, yes, but I'm going to be. Call- Damn, that's right. That yeah, that was the talking, the red room talking to the fan base. The Tater Boys were 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 Voyager fans. I'm a Tater Boy. The the Doctor Who villains, <laughs> the most out of place <laughs> antagonists the shows ever had. They were awesome. I loved them. I was happy to see them back. Speaking of names, uh, so this was first aired February fourteenth, two thousand and one. So this is a nice Valentine's Day gift to uh all of the loving fans out there and well rewarded teleplay by raf green and james khan story by raf green and kenneth biller this is a bewildering episode in a great way and directed by mike veger so i did a little research on mike veger who i love just because we share the same name there is a commonality there that i do appreciate Apparently he was a big deal over in uh, Babylon 5. And there's going to be a lot of Babylon 5, according to Memory Alpha, which in a rare turn of events is not utter dog shit for this episode. It's mostly on the B5 parallels. The actors, the choices and visual effects, the writers and the director, and of course the plot all harken back to Babylon 5 in a way. Which maybe that's also worth us sometime at some point talking about because Babylon 5 was ran parallel to this era of Trek when it was on. It was that late 90s into the early 2000s period. And J. Michael Straczynski apparently had a Star Trek pitch at some point and then that didn't pan out. And magically DS9 appeared. And so he's like, fuck you. I'm going to go make my space station show with, with, with blackjack and hookers on TNT. <laughs> so, I mean, there's there's something there that might be worth talking about the same way that we uh, ended up hitting up BSG uh, at one point. But regardless, there are some uh, some B5 vibes that go on here, it, including a, a strange B plot regarding food. And a lot of low-angle camera shots, which are are B5 staples if you've watched a lot of the show. I have watched zero episodes of Babylon 5. It's definitely something you would enjoy. Uh, it's it's a lore-dense show, I'll say that. So you got to be prepared to really absorb the universe. Also, uh, there's a lot of movies, like TV movies that they made. That was a big thing for the franchise. Were those tv to dvd movies like was that a dvd uh this was all all done pre the advent of how lucrative dvds would be 
uh, it was made for TV movies for cable. You know, like this is the era, not to diverge too far into Babylon 5, but it was that era where the superstation, like the 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 cable superstation was starting to kind of emerge. And TNT TBS superstation. Yeah. And TNT was the other one where they're making pretty low budget, but original programming. And they wanted to to fill time and have content and the TV movie based on existing property TV shows was pretty popular at that point. And so they did a lot of those. Speaking of pretty popular, Netflix. And uh, specifically in regards to this, this is our first adventure into a post-Netflix Voyager viewing space. Voyager viewing void, I should say. Uh, that's important, hey, man. Like, hey <laughs> Netflix uh, had Star Trek for a very long time before we even thought of doing a podcast, and I never would have thought that our podcast would have outlived Star Trek Voyager on Netflix. But here we are. This is my first foray into using Amazon Prime. Uh, I am very happy to report because at first I was like, oh, RIP skip intro. But oh, yeah, that's... my eyes lit up, too, when I saw that. <laughs> yeah, big time. And I got to say, man, I dig X-ray. Like when you hit the pause button, it pulls up like actor info for the kind of research and stuff we do for the podcast. That's actually very helpful. Uh, the bad part is when you hit pause a million times an episode like I do to write in my little diary here the UI hangs on the screen excruciatingly long and uh, it becomes very distracting. I would never have guessed without that function that, that the, uh, the little fraggle rack person or whatever yeah. the fuck was Jonathan DeLarco, who is uh, Hugh. I unrecognizable, obviously like makeup, you know, being what it is for the, for what his role was here. But yeah, I specifically only noticed that because of that function. So I, I agree. It's nice. So we open up in this uh, episode with a very privileged little dinner uh, party for all of the executive staff, minus Tuvok and Harry Kim, who are stuck with bridge duty. And I'm thinking to myself, if I was going to throw a party, that's probably the two people I'd leave off the guest list as well. And considering... Seven of Nine was prepared to fuck Harry Kim. What? How far down the totem pole of Seven of Nine's friends has he fallen, right? Like, Captain, okay. Chakotay, I get it. Tom and Bolana, I mean, sure. I guess, you're like... a three-way with him, why not? You know, they're freaky, and you're a hot blonde robot lady. I'm sure they're into it. If we are to over-analyze uh, this as we're wont to do, yeah, man, the omission of Tupac kind of sucks, like, I keep wanting there to be either a, a, any sort of relationship between Tuvok and Seven, whether it's a mentor, apprentice, hot and heavy on the DL fuck buddies, uh, you know, some sort of logic circle. We certainly saw that relationship in Year of Hell, and we kind of saw some shades of it in the Rock episode because those are two that like go off in the shuttlecraft to, I'm air quoting here, study... <laughs> <laughs> study a nebula oh yeah that's where we conceived of the concept that we would have loved to see these two actually be in a relationship together that that somehow they seem the most compatible in that regard mm -hmm. but you know they made tuvok a married man and very serious about being a married man and closed that off from from reality entirely Quicks Quick, quick question. So she's prepared a some sort of a roasted quail dish, right? And she's being a real bee about like, no, Tom, you can't have any extra salt because I made it perfect. And if you don't like it the way I like it, you can have some fucking tomato soup and a and a uncrustable, which is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for anybody who does not have children. Or it's not been by a freezer aisle. I mean, you know, are, are they that popular? Yeah, oh, hard I to miss them. I uh, I stick to the to the Aldi's and Costco, so I don't see a lot of mainstream. Um, so are they replicating like quail breast, and then she's further preparing it? Because there's no, there's certainly I don't know. Do they have like an aviary in Voyager, and they just go in there occasionally, like 
kill some of the birds off. I'm still trying to get over the idea that you consider Costco and Aldi to be like somehow like alt rock slash hipster grocery stores. I mean, you really threw me for a loop with that one. Listen, everything in Aldi's for the most part is store brand. This can be our side fucking grocery store podcast, uh, Patreon content one day. (laughs) This is premium. But everything at Aldi's is like they're goofy. I love Aldi. So when I say goofy, it's from a place of love. I'm I'm in Facebook secret shopper groups for it. All right. Like I'm I'm in deep. So they've got all their store brands. And then Costco is a very curated um, selection of stuff. So there's a lot of big label things that I just don't have exposure to because I'm not going to like Kroger and Giant Eagle, which are the the big chain. um, Yeah, you're too cool for that. I understand. I'm too fucking cheap for that. (laughs) But yeah, to, to, to your points, I would assume that the actual process is plain quail breast. Is <laughs> I thought you were talking to my point about grocery stores. We're back to Star Trek. Yeah, right. no, no. I, I'm a professional. This is literally a 170th episode. I can remember both tracks of the conversation. Don't worry. We'll return to Costco at an appropriate time. Mm. I have a giant thing of vodka downstairs that I've purchased from their liquor store. The Costco liquor store is the greatest invention known to man. And I am yeah, happy stuff is good. I'm a, I'm a happy uh, a contributor to that part of their business. But uh, to the quail question, I think you replicate like a, a an unprepared piece of meat. So uh, um, unprepared quail breast, unprepared steak, and then you season it. You cook Does it. the replicator beam it in raw? I would assume you can request it to do that, right? Like... You can request it cooked like Catherine Janeway always does with her fucking roast like an idiot. Yeah, she just... burns it. So if you replicated chicken breast, which is mm-hmm. like germ city, the replicator is not going to put like salmonella or whatever terrible botulism, whatever. Fuck. Like you should be able to take replicated raw chicken breast and like rub it in your eyes and ultimately be OK, right? Correct. Or just eat, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> just eat raw chicken. That would be a hell of a dare. Like, okay, well, uh, you lost the bet, so you are eating uncooked meat for the rest of the week. A.K.A. just a regular trip through um, Neelix's uh, mess hall. Everybody's given like uh, seven you know, high fives and stuff and shitting on Neelix. It's a good time. But uh, going back to Tuvok and Seven going off to study a space nebula or a space butthole, a.k.a. Seven's butthole, a huge space butthole appears on the television. This is the biggest space butthole we have ever seen. So it's the biggest space butthole we've ever seen. It sucks Voyager in before they're able to kind of do anything about it. And when they get shot out the other side, we get the most bargain of effects of all time, which is just make everything dark. That's the theme. <laughs> throw the lights down don't have anything in the windows we're just gonna we're just gonna be dark it's gonna be dark here it, uh, it's 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 a cool effect we've seen it a few times now we had um uh what's the one where they fight the melon in that that goofy radiation yeah, expanse night, when they're when they're like trying to get across like a set a section of the galaxy that's just like got nothing in it Mm-hmm. And I think they recapture the effect well here. Night specifically really did a good uh, haunting at deck 13 was another one where you kill the ambient noise on the ship uh, and you have this oppressive silence that does a, a real good job building tension. So they immediately get jumped by a ship that they mention has a Vaudoir signature, which is the only time ever on the show after Dragon's Teeth, that the word Vaudoir is ever mentioned for any reason. It attacks them, does a number on them, and then gets driven away by a new challenger who shows up, attacks them, and then steals a bunch of their shit. So it's a drive-by where they get their shields knocked out so they can transport above uh, up, you know, all their plants, probably all those birds that Seven of Nine was killing, <laughs> and then of course a bunch of deuterium, which we know from prior episodes and prior Star Trek uh, uh, consumption is essentially uh, Starship jet fuel. Uh, 
momentarily, Tom is bewildered as to why anyone would want to steal deuterium, given it is quite commonplace, when uh, immediately Harry and, and Tuvok are like, yeah, this is kind of, we're in the fuck zone. We're in some place where there is nothing. Uh, this is a problem. This is, I feel, primetime Kenneth Biller, right? This is this is Bewilder 101. Sometimes you get real shit episodes. Sometimes you get some of the best. And he is really on his game here, I feel like. Um, Kenneth Biller will pull into his own back catalog of Star Trek contributions and, and start doing some really cool stuff. And they pack so much stuff into this this uh, quick turn of events here that it's starting again with the Vaudoir, which they said Vaudoir. And I'm like, wait, I run into a problem because of this podcast where Voyager, like next gen, I know all the guys names inside and out Voyager. I know the silly nicknames we give people and that's what burns in my head. So I'm like, shit, is that the Klingassians? I, I don't. So I, I pause it and I, I, I ask Google, I get my phone out and I'm like, uh, Vaudoir Star Trek Voyager, which Google hears as Fart Wars Star Trek Voyager. And I'm like, close, close. close. And of course, the Fart Wars are a well-documented thing that did happen on Star Trek Voyager between uh, Tuvok, Neelix, and um, I think Chakotay Beltran. Like... <laughs> them farting and like carpet bombing each other and said so 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 anyways yeah you you had the vaudoir the klingassians who you had told me never come up again so i was tickled I, 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 have the... I did mention they get mentioned once which was this well was what a great time to mention them and they do say hey listen it's a vaudoir but we see all sorts of technology in there which is a great way to to roll out what kind of thunderdome we're going to be seeing where it's just dudes stealing from each other uh non-stops um, the, you've the, got the, uh, yeah. We get mostly season seven aliens, but we get them all right. We get both of the alien species from Nightingale, the adventure where Harry uh, decides he wants to be a real boy. He wants to be a captain. So both the the nice guy aliens, who are the ones that are though they've kind of got the the sort of plates on their ridge line and that sort of thing, who this first kind of possible ally they're going to meet is from. Uh, then later on, uh, we meet the, uh, the, the Kralor. Uh They're kind of in the background as part of the Alliance. Um, we get an Aegean ship. Uh, although this Good time space Texans, the space Texans are black this time though. So it took me a second to re- recognize that that's what they were. Because all the all the space Texans the first time were the white were white, so it looks a little different on dark skin. But I definitely you definitely I see picked it. up on them because of the big padded stuff shirts they had. One of the not season seven aliens that we see are the neckbeard people, the uh, the giant potato the tater heads. boys. Yeah, the tater boys. Uh, during the 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 two attacks that hit Voyager, like you said, the second ship uh, mugs them. And Voyager shields are still up at that point, which made me think that they had the same pirate. You sure? They specifically say they're down. Specifically right. Nope. You are incorrect. I I remember it quite vividly. Shields Mm -hmm. are down. The beam up happens. That is the sequence. They actually correctly did that. I was too busy fretting over the cast flowers. They stole out of hydroponics. And I I have that in my notes. Like, no, not the cast flowers. Okay. The, that's the best I scene... forgive you for your error. I'm sure all of our viewers will understand your error as well. Well, listen, all right, if we're going to be pointing errors out here, you saying that Susie Plaxton was one of the uh, Duras sisters, I hope you get a lot of hate mail over <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> that was that was almost as bad as me not knowing the plane that dropped the nuclear device in uh, Japan. So Yeah, yeah it's uh, just, just as bad. <laughs> it's a high offense. Uh and I'll tell you what, people find out about that Susie Plaxton misquote, and you're going to have like the high council doing the thing where they cross their arms and turn their backs to you, if you're lucky. I'm going to get a discommendation from Trek fans for that. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to tell my parents about it or anything. No. <laughs> it's going to be super awkward. Your dad's going to disown you. The, the, the beam-out sequence, the fucking dickhead in engineering... That's like, oh my god, Mike! They've got all this equipment that's never been in engineering before. 
they got some asshole they pulled out of central casting he's doing like this panel I'm like oh my god everything's disappearing in a room that's clearly empty and they just cg the stuff and that's going to get beamed out Captain, they've taken everything out of engineering. The photon grenades, the phaser rifles, the backup pipes, everything that we store right next to the warp core. The uh, plasma vent iron lung we had fish tom in and our alien sex bot recitation bay and all the other dangerous stuff. Like, man, I think second to the holodeck, the warp core area in engineering is probably like the second most dangerous material place and not because of the warp core because of everything else they they have around there um and we find out that uh surprise surprise this is actually a jailbreak episode right it is they're in a in a giant ship jail and it's fucking awesome talk about a uh, a concept that works you've got the void which is a pocket of subspace i feel like was it was uh it was the tank girl episode was a similar deal where you had this geographical feature that was a a huge threat to all of the surrounding area and stuff would get yeah that was the same deal because you had all sorts of aliens getting stuck on like time warp planet right that is correct that's what they kept running into was other alien races that got stranded there so that's the tank girl episode done awesome is is what we're going to be dealing with here basically just without Lori um, petty like that's <laughs> that's all you needed was a bunch of babylon 5 references instead who knew i you know ever since was it prophecy with uh balan and the klingons correct that was right? last week yep i keep thinking like a lot of these plots how fun it would be if you just got a ship full of angry klingons plopped in these situations instead of like hippy dippy voyager oh yeah they they definitely would have seen this as like oh it's our personal valhalla we get to raid forever (laughs) just they just would own this whole place right everyone would work for them or die wow they'd whip this place into shape maybe maybe tom and balana's kid wasn't actually their space jesus after all and like god i'll have to pull the prophecy from like the actual scrolls and see if we could have applied it to the situation here i I think you could have yeah i think voyager cheated them out of their actual true afterlife yeah in the subspace battle dome here's what you get to do you get to be your badass d5 klingon cruiser preying on starships that are weaker than you and stealing their shit forever and scavenging all their cool stuff so they get uh their stuff stolen they find out that this part of subspace is completely devoid of everything it sucks but there's like 120 some ships that are registering on sensors although how many of them are operational like 20 or something yeah not many that's small huh yeah and then the third ship comes over to say hello and we get a super awesome guest star by the name of robin Sachs. he's going to be playing general valen and man talk about a guy who just checks off all the buttons that I care about, right? You got the bad guy from Galaxy Quest, Saris, right? Correct. You got the yacht guy whose kid gets bit by a compi in the Lost World, which I care about Jurassic Park, so I'll give Lost World some begrudging credit. But most importantly, you got fucking Zaid Masani from uh, Mass Effect 2 and 3. Which is pretty nuts considering his makeup kind of gives you a little bit of that sort of more mass effect alien vibe, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this dude's like, Hey, listen, you're actually in the Thunderdome and, uh, there's no getting out. You'll seem like you're pretty badass. I want to be your friends, maybe buy some photon torpedoes off you. And, uh, I'll show you the ropes kid. And of course the worst part about this episode is that captain Janeway's perspective is too rigid for reality. I do understand that the point of this episode has to be that Voyager sticks to their ideals and the Federation way is the right way and good triumphs over evil because everybody that decides to not be evil, you know, combines their forces to succeed. Uh, I think that that kind of broad outline can work and should work and is very Star Trek. But boy, they go out of their way to make Janeway just seem a little too rigid and unreasonable in this. And we get that first taste right here of like, this guy's like, I want to be reasonable and all I want is a couple photon torpedoes. 
holler at your boy. And uh, she is just unwilling and kicks the guy off right away. And we'll get more of this as time goes on. And she's not even like, hey, you know, thanks, but no thanks. It's no and fuck you and leave. Yeah. Um, and and that's that's a hard part. Now, I will say that they could massage the edges here or at least um galvanize the situation if she were to say hey listen you remember when we threw in with the trabe against the kazon um i said we need to stick to our principles and everybody's like no captain janeway we got to be flexible and 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 work with the delta quadrant and it blew up in our fucking face and then we all resolved we would never stray from the rules again and that seems like the right thing to do here like okay appropriate call out i would say i would say yes okay i can i can take all these other doubts i have and shove them up my ass and i could still do that because i saw that episode of star trek voyager but i need this episode of star trek voyager to acknowledge that episode of star trek voyager to 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 make it admissible asking way too much what are you doing what are you doing peter asking for them to reference two episode my god man i know i i also while i'm sitting here having like my my sexy fantasies of who could have gotten sucked into the space butthole and had a good time. Like the Klingons would have been pretty excellent, but like, God, what a bad day it'd be for the void. If a fucking cube got yanked into this. So the bottom line is that Voyager having been stolen on doesn't have much gas left. They they talk about having a week, uh, 10 days ish. And when this initially happens, they want to try and effect an escape. They try to make a solo move to escape. They get pretty far. You push that boulder up up the hill, but it just comes right back on top of them and ends up costing them a bunch of gas without really getting them anywhere. And they realize that they're stuck for now. Super gas, too, because the episode does a nice job of compounding the difficulty. Not only are they stuck uh, with the resources they brought in, minus what was stolen, but also the forces that brought them there are putting undue stress on the systems. So they are burning off energy 10 times the normal rate. So whatever they thought they had going in is actually significantly less. And this brings Janeway to saying, all right, turn off everything that's not important. And we get the uh, the dark interior scenes where they're using my favorite wrist mount flashlights to wander the halls. Um, and uh, they decide, all right, listen, we're not going to barter with uh, with the bad guys here, but we are going to go after the people who stole from us and beat the fuck out of them so we can take our stuff back because some violence in the Federation is bad, but some violence is great. They go to commit that violence and then find that the ship is already on fire. <laughs> Pretty cool effect, actually. You don't usually see a ship like in flames on Star Trek, but they do. And they're like, what's on it? Is there anything left? Well, no one's alive. Someone only stole all their shit already. Uh, but like their casing for their warp core, we can turn into an energy source. It's made out of magnesium and can bang it with rocks and, and start a fire or something, whatever. Beam it over into a cargo bay and then wander down there in the dark and, and let's see uh, what we can see. Also, I hope that that energy source was not nuclear or everybody walking to that cargo bay is going to be sterile. But uh, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> the, the Klingon baby Jesus got that covered, too. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, I like the maternity clothes that they have um, Balana in. It's like a, instead of now her that, being now a, that she's pregnant in character rather than they're just hiding it. <laughs> Again, what a fucking slap in the face, right? Like she has now gone. She will be going through her second season, essentially pregnant. But like you said before, everything was being hidden. She had this goofy coat stand behind this console, stand behind that chair. Now, hey, put on this fake baby bump. Here's all this comfy maternity clothing, all the shit you probably like. It it feels like a real fuck you. (laughs) It is an odd choice, but I guess they really had no other choice, right? If they wanted to do a pregnancy storyline, literally Bolana is the only one they can really do it with. Can't do it with Captain. She's the first character, minus that goofy Troy one-off. Like She's the first character to ever really go through a full childbirth and Trek, right? First and only? Only. She's the only one that actually does the full child term no that's not true 
DS9. DS9 doesn't. Won't say how, but yeah. DS9. DS9's, uh, if we ever do DS9, I think you'll be entertained with the way that they explain why one of their cast members gets pregnant. Okay. <laughs> so they can portray it in character with keeping things like the way that they were. Okay. Um, they show up to the cargo bay and they flash it with their wrist flashlights. And you see the warp core casing has been like cut out with circular saws, which looks pretty gnarly, man. It looks like real scrappy. Uh, smash and grab and they see movement and it turns out that there's a stowaway inside the warp core casing which seems like a terrible place to hide so we, we will find out more about these aliens as the episode goes on that i think is actually pretty cool pretty cool ideas with these guys uh, as mentioned i, I call them little fraggle rock dudes they're just kind of like these feral um uh, kind of have these blank expressions kind of like they're wearing almost a bone mask but not in this creepy way but kind of like a like a, a childlike way and the and the main one that we're going to get uh familiar with here is played by the same actor who played Hugh Jonathan Delarco and he doesn't have much to do obviously cuz he literally has no dialogue right he doesn't talk uh He's so real. it's all... <laughs> uh very very um cheap to get Jonathan DeLarco for this one. That Hugh money's not coming in. But he does have to do a lot physically, which he does quite well. I forgot how what a small man he is, of course, because he wasn't an adult at the time he did Hugh, so it's not like he got any bigger, right? And he mm-hmm. was supposed to be very childlike, so he is uh, he's hired for his stature, I think, more than anything else, being pretty slight in many ways. I think um, that these guys... Do you remember the next-gen episode where the federation's given that planet that's uh gonna blow up data's a ham radio pen pal but they're not warp capable so they can't intervene but like uh she had that same like kind of blank monkey looking face with the pom-pom hair Uh, yeah 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 no i remember now yeah that's that's the vibes i'm getting off these guys but uh seems intelligent can't communicate they don't know much about it so it gets shunted off to sick bay where the doctor kind of turns it into a pet project while everybody else is focusing in on how the fuck do we get out of this thing? Um, there is, the, the episode's best and worst scene follows that when Tuvok and Chakotay go to have a chit-chat. No, I'm sorry. I guess they first they run into the ship that stole all their goods off of the burning ship, which turns out was the, uh, the first guy that they met, Valen. Zaid Masani. We're using and mass effect names here, all right? They they decide to bang it out uh, with phasers and photon torpedoes with Zaid and successfully take his shields down to be able to beam some of their stuff back, but not all of it. And that is when they start to understand the desperation of their circumstance because not only are you having to fight each other for resources, those resources are in a constant state of decline because of the nature of the anomaly. And that is after that is when Tuvok and Chakotay come calling to Catherine and go, well, hey, hold on, boss. before that, you know, they, they get uh, Saris, Zaid Masani's shields down. They have them at their mercy. And Tom, who is often the uh, the face of, of I don't want to say duplicity, but he's he's the shady one, right? He's the one yeah, willing yeah. to kick someone while they're down. Yeah. This is he will, this he is will do a, a, a 360 no scope. And kill a Kazon in a shuttlecraft if he's annoyed enough. Right. So they got uh, Saris's shields down. They say, hey, we found our stuff. They used a bunch of it. But hey, he also has a bunch of extra food. And Janeway, uh, you know, the even hand of Tyr here says, we will only take back what is ours and we will not take the rest of the stuff. And she gets pushback on the bridge from Tom and a couple other people like, you know, this guy's a dick. Why don't we take his other stuff? And Janeway says, no, we only take back what's ours. Leave it. We leave. And the scene you're talking about in her ready room where it's uh, Chakotay and Tuvok versus Janeway. This is the second time we've gotten one of these. Uh, the first time being that <laughs> one where they say uh, which one's first. What was that from where it looks like it's going to turn into a gangbang? Oh, God, that was too. That was too long ago, was it? I like when it's Janeway against 
her two best confidants who don't like each other right like we've we're constantly reminded that Tuvok and Chicote have a difficult relationship with each other stemming from the fact that Tuvok infiltrated Chakotay's ship and tricked him and was a spy, right? Like he was humiliated as a consequence of, of Tuvok's deception. And ever since then, you know, he's been order and duty and Chakotay has been of a wild card. He was a terrorist. He takes his duties seriously, but he's also his loyalties in first were in question. They're no longer in question now, but he's very different than Chakot- than Tuvok. And so when they both come together with the same idea and say, we got to we gotta convince our boss to not be a fucking goody two-shoes, you kind of know they're right if they've come to the same conclusion, right? Like, that, that, that's a union of the minds that needs to, you need to take heed of. And, then, and that's what this is. What, what, what exactly are the rules we're playing by here? And she, you know, does a little game with him. Well, you know, I've been looking at the charter and... Uh, wouldn't you know, it doesn't have anything about raiding and Mad Maxing around. I guess we're going to be stuck with our morals. I, it's and, like uh, it's like saying, oh, we're in a desperate situation. What do we do? It's like, well, I've been consulting the U.S. Constitution. Yeah. And there isn't an amendment for trying to survive in the wilderness. I don't know. I don't know why I became Jesse Ventura there for a second. No, boys, we're going to stick to this. This is where they needed to have the scene about, like, Again, we tried pairing up with the uh, Trabe. Turns out that they were like psycho slavers. We're going to stick to our traditions here. Remember uh, the the last three times this thing came up. Hey, do you remember that uh, a little story I like to call the USS Equinox? What happens when the Federation falls from its values? And I went super crazy and hunted them down to murder them. Yeah, I'm pretty serious about these ideals, boys. (laughs) Have you not been here the last seven years? Yeah, so um, still a there, good scene. What, there's what, a great what, line of like Chakotay like pushes back at her. It's like, should the crew be prepared? <laughs> well, Chakotay's like, are you, should the crew be prepared to die for your ideals? And she's like, yes. <laughs> Absolutely, they should be prepared to die for my ideals. God damn it. That's well, the first rule of uh, the Janeway is I will blow this ship up at any goddamn minute. So uh, it's the Janeway or the highway. And if you're here, it's ride or die. No, nobody's going to die, but they may lose a few pounds. Fatty. And he's like, yeah. Ooh, hint, like, hint. <laughs> you know, there's not really any further exchange with Saris here, which I thought was kind of a mess. Like Saris to like begrudge her a little bit of respect. Like, Hey, thanks for not stealing the rest of my stuff, but we need a clear bad guy. Cause we're ultimately going to do him dirty. Oh no. The clear the bad guy shows up later. This e- Saris is like law, lawful evil. There's a chaotic evil later on. It's the, it's the, the nose fin guy that shows up with the, the part. Yeah. That yeah. guy is super black hat turbo evil. <laughs> that guy is the uh, it's Michael Shannis Willis, the bartender who's wearing a halo in Fight Club. This guy, I'm going to talk about him because we're already talking about him. When this guy shows up, he he literally is racist at the Fraggle Rock people, talks about wanting to murder them. And then later on shows up with a space part. And then Janeway's like, where'd you get it? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> like, he's like purposely like, I, I, I traded for it. <laughs> and which Janeway cannot just leave alone and say, you know what? We're in a rough spot. We need to get the fuck out of here. Um, here's my ideals. I'm going to go out of my way to make this guy explicitly say he killed somebody just so I can make a big fucking deal out of it and kick him off my ship. Like that. I think that really exposes some character flaw to Janeway that she is um, at just, just like any other Janeway moment. She is a thing to a fatal, to a critical flaw point. Right. Right. Until the next episode where that, that tangent doesn't matter anymore. And she's willing to, you know, violate the prime directive and everything else to suit the episodes needs uh, Janeway's big idea is let's make an alliance of the ships that are in here. Let's get our shit together. 
share technology, share resources, and we might find a way out of here because we almost got out of here on our own. So we may not need a lot of help. That's her idea. Her first pitch to her idea are actually the space Texans. Like, I, as I mentioned, uh, momentarily, I did not recognize them because the act, main actor that they have in this one uh, is a black guy, but it is definitely the same race. And he's a little skeptical because he's space Texan, right? Like, well, he ain't murdering anybody, and I'm definitely okay with that. Uh, but is willing to hear Chainway out, you know, is clearly has a some sense of honor. You know, he's, he's painted in a more fallen from grace and circumstance kind of good guy, you know, of like he might usually be kind of on the up and up, but circumstances have beat him down a little bit, but decides not to, to take him up on the offer. And now Janeway's policy here is interesting. And that is, we are going to take all of our resources and this is, this is your super utopian Federation ideals in play. We're going to take all of our resources our food, our medical supplies, anything, and we're going to make it free to anyone who needs it as a show of good faith in an effort to woo people into this alliance. And it plays out well here because the space Texans come on board. Uh, I don't think we're interested in your so-called alliance. Janeway, hey, is there anything I can help you out with? Uh, why, yes, we're looking for whatever. What's it going to cost us? Nothing considered a gift from the alliance. And this will play out to greater effect deeper in the episode as they start calling additional recruits into a mess hall, which has basically been turned into um, a hometown buffet. Or or you might say a space station meant for diplomacy, like Babylon 5, filled with all of these races and exotic wares for sale. Apples and bananas and Leola root this and that. There's a nice line in that that scene with the space Texans where uh, Neelix, who I, I would say has a more normal role that we're used to of him kind of being featured, but not necessarily the focus of the episode. You know, good use of Neelix, where he tries to do his diplomat thing by saying, you know, six years ago, Captain, you know, took me on and has never failed to to deliver for me. I'm not, you know, from the Alpha Quadrant. You know, and then mentions after they leave, hey, I tried. Sorry. You know, I tried to do my thing. And Janeway just has an expression that says, man, I appreciate you. That was nice. That was a nice add in. That was a nice. That was slick. But you did. Good job, uh, Neelix. Neelix is kind of a leadership role in this episode. We haven't mentioned it yet, but he has a persistent bitch in most of his scenes. It's this chunky red shirt guy who yeah. is like his. Starfleet appointed bus boy. Yeah, and it, it is the luckiest guy who was working in craft services ever. Right? <laughs> like, hey man, you're getting the extra pay today. Go to cost, mm-hmm. go to fitting. We're gonna put you in our biggest jumpsuit and you're gonna serve <laughs> a bunch of plates on there's screen. a lot of food in this episode. We gotta make sure it's handled right. There's something about union, whatever. So we need someone whose food service handled. Uh, and we're, it's just easier for us to have you in uniform. So you're always around us. We can make sure that like flies aren't laying eggs and this cheese or whatever the fuck's going on. Um, shortly after she has her meet and greet with the space Texans, uh, a new ship is sucked in. Uh, yeah. So astrometrics, the, the Borg Federation hybrid technology, like they can pinpoint where the next ship is going to appear in the void, which is a pretty big deal, right? That lets them know where the space butthole they can try escape from is going to be uh, and also become a proper welcome party for new ships getting sucked in. And eventually uh, the the Tater Boys, the, the Star Trek fans, the, the Voyager fans get pulled in. I, again, I was I was so fucking hyped to see these guys. I never would have thought I would see uh, the Tinker Tenor Doctor spy uh, fatties again. Just what you wait, buddy. This ain't even the last time you're going to see them. Oh, really? Oh, yes. That's cool. And these guys, you know, again, with with Kenneth Bewilder, everybody's played true to form. Yeah. Uh, These guys are cowards. Their weapons suck. They are not frontline fighters. They are essentially spies, right? But they're good at being spies. 
they are good at their thing mm-hmm. and it actually comes into play during the episode both as a gag and then something useful later on yeah so uh hype to see the potato um people and Janeway uh start I think it's that ship that they're protecting where they kind of start losing the battle until the Lone Ranger space Texans ride in uh at the 11th hour and and fight the attackers off and reinforce them and the alliance is finally born so we flash forward at this point I think a little bit because there are now more ships we get that scene at uh at Voyager 5 I mean the mess hall and uh, Janeway is kind of whining and dining uh, a new potential recruit as a, uh, you know, somebody who can, you know, bring some more resources and technology into the fold. And this is uh, the guy who ends up being our uh, our super duper bad guy. Uh, Basal, I believe his name is. Uh, he has this pronounced fin that goes from the top of his forehead to the bottom of his chin and then jets out. So his face has a kind of fish-like quality to it, is the way I would describe it. This guy comes on, he's getting the heart itself from Janeway, and as I mentioned, this is when the Doctor comes with his Fraggle Rock person, who he's le- he's learned to communicate with using music. Techno. Which, thought, which, yeah, which I thought was a neat concept that you know the Doctor figured out because of just playing music and then Seven of Nine's intuition about that, that... They don't have speech, but they're intelligent enough to understand communication. And they learn to communicate through tones and sounds in a way that because, you know, this this guy is super smart. The doctor is a computer. They've figured out a rudimentary language with each other using little little uh, MIDI techno keypads <laughs> to yeah, uh, get little cord synthesizers. each other. Yeah. Yeah, those little handheld court synthesizer things, yeah. Mm-hmm. Where you could do Seven Nation Army on them. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. That's uh that's a whole conversation in their language. Doctor brings it in. Basal's like, oh, those guys are rats, they're vermin. Uh another thing about the the the, the techno vermin <laughs> is that they're able to suppress their life signs so scanners won't pick them up. Uh, and they basically infest us ships. We'll find out that they are native to the void somehow, much the same way that those um, Tootsie Roll people were native to the whatever the expanse that the Morlocks were were trash bombing. Right. Um, even though as an hospitable as the area seems and as silly as it would be for life to pop up here in a void. Um, that's their deal. So Janeway says, listen, uh, I get you don't like these guys on your ship. I know how to scan for them and I'd be happy to peel them off and bring them to my ship if it makes you happy and reinforce, uh, the, the benevolence of the Alliance and, and hard sell you on bringing in. I, you know, along with the Klingons and things I'd like to fantasize about seeing getting sucked into the void. God, could you imagine a cube getting yanked into this? Oh, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, really, hold on a second. really hold bad on. day for everyone, including the cube. Hold on a second. You're telling me that this is a whole area that's uh, uh, all about just raiding, stealing resources and forcing things uh, to be. Assumed. Yeah, that sounds like a vacation. That's a board vacation spot, basically. Right. Mm, I went to the void. The hotel was not what I was hoping but I assimilated like 50 ships. It was pretty cool. Actually, I wouldn't be surprised if something like this was actually like a board bear trap catch right. a bunch just, of stuff you come by later and just like just eat them all just mm-hmm. stick them all in your cube pop out come back and get another it's like more. a box of popcorn shrimp <laughs> from kentucky fried chicken oh so, no there's more Kazon in here throw them away <laughs> i hate the bad. drumsticks throw them out this picky ass borg uh, I thought, found it uh, silly that the Universal Translator could not pick up on the Doctor's new techno language, but obviously they're going for effect there. Once they pull the rest of the native Fraggle Rocks from the other ships that didn't want them, uh, Hugh will share the new techno language with them, and Janeway, who has like a million things more important and pressing in this um, pressure cooker hellhole that they've found themselves in, uh, instead 
decides to be swept off her feet by a little techno music ensemble. Yeah, Moby, these guys are not. No. (laughs) Janeway really pisses me off a lot of ways in this episode. Like, she's over here, like, getting teary-eyed and clapping because she heard a little song. But on the other hand, she's taking people with critical technology and running them off because morals. Yeah, so we get it before she gets her little concert. uh, She goes down to engineering and finds out from the space Texan and Bellano who are working on it, that they got a plan to get out. And the plan is create a shield warp bubble around all of the allied ships and use their, their net proportion uh, uh, propulsion to jam themselves into uh, one of these uh, space time buttholes and get out. But they need a Polaron modulator to pull it off. They don't have one. They're trying to build one, but slow going. And that's when supervillain guy shows up and does his stupid fucking villain speeches about how he totally murdered a bunch of people for this thing. Just so that Janeway can be pissed at him and kick him out. And this, of course, leads to some of the other ships deciding, uh, we don't want to join Goody Two-Shoes, Team Goody Two-Shoes. No, We're gonna join the Legion of Doom. We're going to join the bad guy and then attack you later. That's what we're going to do. So basically the Void's like, uh, I don't know, an elementary school playground. (laughs) (laughs) And the best people to know on the elementary school playground are the weirdo nerds that are able to get close to every conversation and tell you what's going on. And fortunately, those guys are here. (laughs) We have a gag where they have installed... Okay, they beat Tuvok security stuff. Big, Imagine big, that. Big difficulty there. Like That's like playing the game on story mode, boys. Like Not, not getting any points for difficulty. Uh, but say, hey, yeah, we've installed this thing so that you can spy on everyone's conversations across all the ships nearby. At first, Tuvok's like, but we shouldn't spy on our friends. And then when the supervillains show up, he's like, all right, Kathy, you should come show how we can spy on, <laughs> we can spy on them now, thanks to these nerds. <laughs> I'm not willing to go down for my morals the way you are, Kathy. Uh, t- talking to the Tater Boys specifically here, I-, I think there's, if we weren't stuck to a 45-minute runtime, there was a lot of fun we could have had with this. Because Voyager should be a very famous ship, or at least the Doctor. Like, how cool of them, like, <gasps> The Doctor, we are big fans of your exploits. And cause remember, like, they were experiencing all of this crazy hollow fantasies where he's banging everybody and Seven's naked and uh, command EMH and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. He wants to bang every chick in the ship. That was the that was the joke. And they got all of this as like, this is true. This guy's the total badass and, uh, you know, fanboy over him. I would like to see some hero worship towards the doctor. I get it. He's busy with with Moby. Um, I would also have liked to see a scene with these guys where they're digging around in the Voyager's databases and being like, what the hell was the super phaser they had? The quantum launcher or something. Remember that there was the, the trump card he plays at the end that like, oh, I've got. This oh, yeah, yeah. The card. photonic cannon. Like, wait, just hit him with the photonic cannon. What photonic cannon? What? What do you mean? And like dig and be like, everything was a fucking lie. Like we got got all those intelligence reports like this huge corner piece to our training uh, program now has been exposed that Voyager was a fraud and we should have raided their ass after all. Like "Mm, you got us after they get the data from the Tater boys that there's going to they're going to get jumped when they try to leave. They are like, all right, well, we're going to try and do this anyway. So we got to drop off all the Fraggle Rock people somewhere, right? We don't want to take them out of here because well, we give them an option. From. Do they want to stay or do they want to go? And for some fucking reason, they want to stay. But they say also, hey, thanks so much for these cool little MIDI, uh, you know, techno devices. How about we do you a solid on the way out? And Janeway's like, go on. <laughs> I'm not above using you, simple aliens <laughs> that I have befriended for my own purposes, and. Uh, you get a little bit of a montage that they've got a plan going with everybody. Like they've got a whole thing that they're going to caper. They're going to pull as a group. This montage is, is the true application. Unlike 
fucking season one finale. This this is the real space friendship is magic. Yes, it is. And they decide to pull the trigger on their escape. And the big plan was basically beam the Fraggle Rock people onto the ships that are attacking us and then have them sabotage them. Kind of basic for like all the effort that make you think that it's going to be some kind of wild thing they're going to do. It isn't. They'll just kind of hang out together until the Fraggle Rock people turn their engines off. And they're like, okay, bye, Fraggle Rock people. And you imagine they wave back and then they just they just jet out of there. What the fuck are these things? Because I thought they were like, hey, yeah, we can like Care Bear stare and make massive power outputs. No, they're just saboteurs. Yeah. They just beam them over and infest the other ships with a plague and they fuck shit up and, and cause problems like, for for me to make these guys make sense in my mind, they have to be like scavengers, like wolves or jackals that hang out on the husks of dead ships and eat the flesh of the crew. Like they're voracious eaters. We know this, right? Right. And they stick to the shadows like these dudes should basically be monsters. And I, I, I think I think they're just fucking scavengers eating the dead in this perpetual hell of the void. And, and they don't want to go out in the real world because they'll be exposed for what they are um they make their big push the attacks come they're able to shrug things off uh it's cool fights like it's it's not the best ship to ship combat we've seen but it's pretty kinetic for voyager you know it's it's a seven out of ten for what we usually get as far as like these combat scenes go there's some cool run and gun going we never get to actually see the vaudoir on screen or whatever but they say, all right, here we go. Uh, let's let's punch it. We're going to go to warp. And they they end them other way out of this massive space butthole and everybody gets off. There's a nice little scene at the end where the potato guys and the space Texans are like, all right, that was pretty cool. Thanks. Thanks, Captain Janeway. Appreciate you getting us out of that jam. They beam onto their ships and. They had to crack a joke about, well, the real Federation's only 30,000 light years away. What are we waiting for? I, I like that scene. Janeway's like, you know, for a minute there, it felt like we were actually back in the Federation. Different species working towards a unified purpose. Um, you know, reminds us of what we're trying to get home to, yada, yada. And yeah, th- there comes a joke. Uh, what, what did you note about the end of the scene? I mean, it is neat that they had all of the ships kind of warp off into different directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was more occupied with the fact that there is no effort by Voyager whatsoever to deploy any sort of warning saying, hey, this part of space is terrible and you're going to get sucked into hell. Stay the fuck away. Like Voyager is usually pretty um, civic minded about these sorts of things. And there is no fucks given at all. They dip out. How did you feel about Voyager making no effort to save any of the other people stuck in the void? Like on one hand, good point. I, I, I can kind of condone things on Janeway's behalf by saying like, listen, we made a good faith effort. We broadcasted what our intentions were to escape. And of the 28 vessels or whatever still alive in here, I have to think that they approached most of them and said, hey, we're going to get out. We think we can do it. We just need you to join hands with us and give up this Mad Max lifestyle you're reveling in here, right? I can't blame those other ships for being like, you're crazy, you're wasting resources, and you're ultimately going to fail, and I don't want to be a part of that failure. But it's still, I mean, for the number of times that Janeway's fallen on her sword to, like, protect people and and help and space police, leaving the other 20 ships stranded there when she's got a surefire way now of getting out seems pretty shitty. And I didn't really feel like uh, Valen... Zaid Masani is ultimately like an evil guy. Like he's surviving the only way everyone in that area knows how to survive. They definitely like what was probably missing was some kind of like, here's a buoy that's going to tell you how to escape. If you ever decide to not stop, you know, stop being shitheads or something like that, like some amount of additional humanity. But I guess their point with that is they all had the opportunity to get out and they chose to, you know, 
not follow the righteous path and therefore they remain in hell. Kind of, it's a basic message, but that's, I, I think the intention how, was to how, leave them punished for not joining the true path. How Puritan of uh, Janeway. I, yeah, I think that would have been the more Starfleet answer at the end was like, all right, we're out. Hey, take that interphasic generator or whatever the fuck that doodad was that a uh, fish face had to kill for. Although I guess he still has his shoot the blueprints into a buoy, throw up a couple warning flags saying, stay away from this thing and, and, and go. Um, another one of those situations too, where maybe I would have thought a little bit about like, Hey, maybe I should see if what, Q's doing if he still wants that date and if I could like SMD to get my crew out of this uh, glue trap. I'm really sorry to to tell you that we're still gonna we still got that vista in front of us man. There's only half of season 7 left yet there's still darkness that remains. I know. What are we watching next week though? Season 7 episode 16 Workforce part 1 and we see uh, Janeway in civilian clothes swooning with another guy in a very silky shirt. Janeway, Tuvok, Seven, Tom, and Bellana are workers on an alien planet where they have no memory of their past lives about board Voyager. This is the last of the two-parters. This one is actually intended as a two-parter, unlike some of the others, like the watch, like Dark Frontier and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to it. This is a good one. Where would you put Void in your overall pantheon of Voyager? I, I'm much cooler on it than you, I think. I like some of the the Babylon 5 touches, as I've mentioned through our discussion, but I don't know. I just hate Janeway in it, and I think that colors my perception of it. Some of, It's actually probably technically better, structured better, directed better than most Voyager episodes, but I find... Janeway's attitude so sanctimonious and so out of place without justification that I'm cold on it. Like whenever Picard did shit that was kind of not in the best interest of him personally, but in, in interest of his ideals, he was able to defend that point, right? He did the thing and then he speechified on it in a way that are like, even if you didn't agree, you kind of agreed, right? Like he was also consistent. Yeah. And, and and that's again the fatal flaw of Janeway is Janeway, when he's facing the Cleveland Bromar, says, Fuck you. I'm just gonna go get my board drone that's on the loose in your space because I can. I don't fucking care about you. Or the swarm. I mean, she just it's I'm a hundred and ten percent thing A today. Tomorrow, I'm 110% thing B, fuck thing A. And it's just that flip-flop. Yeah. And I've been holding back in our discussion just because I'm like, this wasn't bad. And I don't want to say it was bad because it genuinely was not. But Janeway specifically, and that the plot is anchored around her fucking ridiculous method of operating in this episode, just makes me not like it very much. Well, I, uh, I see where you're coming from. Um, but again, with, with the number of traumas we've had laid on us by oh, yeah. uh, season Not- sucks specifically like <laughs> this, this was, you know, this, this wasn't a great episode, but it was a really cool episode. It wasn't actively harmful to our health at a minimum. And that is worth celebrating. Joe, before we part ways, uh, I want to tie back the, the amount of, uh, food that was put out here. They actually, you know, we we always try to make a point of talking about like when there are technology upgrades. I like them saying that off of this alliance, which all of a sudden technology sharing is cool, by the way, in case uh, you thought that was something that, <laughs> that the Federation wasn't willing to do. Um, like just, them weapons. Being, just weapons, them being able to like uh, replicate 10 times the amount of material uh, off of small off of half the amount it would normally have taken. I thought that was cool. And as a result, like, yeah, they, they win everybody over with uh with food so with that in mind i want to throw back to season one uh of our show with a rule of acquisition acquisition rule of acquisition number 214 never begin business negotiation on an empty stomach and on that retro note we'll see everyone next week <laughs>